The reading this week is from, we're back in the book of John. Let's read the word of God together. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, I'm going to pray briefly, uh, if if you'll humor me. Dear Father, We seek from you the Holy Spirit. We seek from you eyes that see and ears that hear, mouths that can speak. Holy Spirit, do this work so that we can see Jesus and the gospel, your good news. Forgive the sins of the one who preaches, and let not my sins be counted against any other, but let us all experience grace upon grace from you. For we pray this in Jesus' name at your throne. Amen. Let me get control of the, uh, somehow I've lost control of my mouse here, but let me get control of this here and bring us to a, to the text on my PowerPoint. And let me uh, begin by saying, because I can see the smile on his face. Well, I can't see it, but I can see it in my mind's eye. I can see the smile on Robin's face, especially when I say his name. Hi, Robin. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I can't tell you what joy that gives me. All right, let's get started into, uh, into this text. Now, so uh, actually, uh, <laughs> you'll see preachers do this sometimes. In some ways, this, this text is just a starting point. This is just a launching point today. And it's going to launch us actually into another text, and appropriately, see, you see, this isn't merely a pretext for preaching on something else. No, this is a, of, consequent, of a consequent nature. So what you'll see is we just read John 20. We're going to finish up John, hopefully, hopefully this month. But, but we're here at the end of John, coming to the end of things. And uh, this particular little, we might not be end, done by the end of January, and I'll tell you why. In these few verses, there is more theology, more church theology packed. Oh, it's just, it's rich. But we're going to be looking at this. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Why are we starting there? Well, because this is 50 days, 50 days, count them 50, Pentecost, Pente, 50, 50 days after Easter, 50 days after his resurrection, 50 days after this day is Pentecost. And on Pentecost, he, the Holy Spirit comes with power. What's breathed here in this quiet inner room becomes a public fire, and it, 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 it catapults the church into being. And uh, that's, what I, that's what we're going to be looking at today. In fact, we're going to be looking at that text that you're familiar with, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And the reason this is on my mind is because, as you saw and we prayed for, 
There is a elder retreat going on this week, uh, just a brief one at a time of vision and planning. And so this, I wanted to talk about what we, this text that happens after the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And that, so it takes us to Acts 2.42. What is the church? What is the church? Now, as I was preparing this message, I experienced what you all experienced. And in fact, it even galvanized and, and, and increased my passion for the message. And that was uh, the events on Wednesday. The events on Wednesday. I mean, they'll, they'll forever be uh, uh, cemented in my mind. And, and we were all aware of, and especially the, uh, 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 those of us uh, who grew up here in this country uh, as Americans, uh, the storming of the Capitol building. And this, this was quite a, quite a eye, eye-opening. It was, I, if you watch it, it was very gripping to watch. It lasted a long time. It was very, very I went to the Capitol as was a teenager. I remember going into that building. And, and it is grand. It is very beautiful. And, and, I, I, and I'm watching the, you know, watching the video, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. And, and there, you know, it's just, there's a riot. And, and, and this, this, this terrible crime happened. Uh, where where there's a riot in our in our center in the capital thinking and I'm getting upset as I'm watching this and I, I'm upset uh, I'm upset and I'm thinking about all the different attitudes that are in play and the divisions in our country all these things are firing in my mind and I'm listening to the politicians and the pundits and the bra- and the newscasters right and I'm with them I'm upset about what's going on but then their language I suddenly hit a wall and 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 I was alienated from the politicians and the pundits and the newscasters as they were covering this news story. And as they described this storming of the Capitol building, they began to use language that I, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable with. What am I talking about? Well, they started talking about how these rioters were violating the sanctuary of democracy. I've been in the Capitol building. I, it does actually feel kind of like a church, like a sanctuary. I mean, it has those echoey feelings and the grandeur and the size and the proportion. But I never thought of it as a sacred space. <laughs> well, then I heard that I heard that language used. Well, they have violated the sacred space of democracy, sacred and sanctuary. And I'm listening to this. And I'm listening to the pundits and the politicians and the broadcasters using that kind of language. It's inflammatory. It's very over the I get that. But I don't connect with that language because I suddenly realized as I was watching and I was getting upset as an American, not wanting to see our, our, our building, uh, our Capitol building destroyed. But I realized I don't participate in this one important way as an American. I don't worship democracy. I don't. I don't worship the system. I don't worship the idea. It is not sacred and is not holy. It's not biblically so. Anyway, I can see these are good things. I think democracy is a good thing. I think it's a, a, a wonderful gift to us from our father and all those things. And I think, and I'm a patriot, but I do not, and I will not, and I cannot give my worship to another. And it seems to me all of a sudden I'm disconnected. And, and while I see the crime of what the rioters were doing at the Capitol building, I know that's not what it was. It was not a violation of sanctity, sanctuary, and the sacred. Now, that disconnect, it made me realize, well, wait a second. Of course, the Capitol building's sacred. Of course, it's a holy sanctuary to them because the church is no longer 
a place of living power. Like, I get it, don't you? I mean, I get why the church, why people have turned to hopes in politics, hopes in representatives, hopes in presidents, and not hopes in a savior. I get it, because politics looks like it makes a difference in the world, and what difference, other than making you feel better, does Christianity really make? What difference does a church go to a church, you see? And, 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 I, and I'm sitting there, and I, and I and I'm realizing that well, the church has nothing to offer this world. They, 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 you know, we're not considered the sacred place. But then I look at the church and I think, well, yeah, we don't have anything. And I look at look at the church, and then I look at the first church, and this is where I'm getting at. Look at this first church. Look at this description here in Acts two, and I feel like we just read it together. We're describing something that not one of us on this call, not one of us on this Zoom worship right now has ever really seen a church like this. We've never seen it. We've never, we've never seen a church in this kind of full flower that's described in the first eruption of the Spirit as Christ breathes. Wow. We just, I feel like it's like a treasure box. I can't open. And the New Testament and the Bible describes a church that does not look like our church today. Why? And I look at that and I, I feel like I'm caught like I, with a church that has no power, a church that doesn't even have power in the gospel, it seems. It doesn't have this living power in its, in its character. And, and I look at a, a society that's gone mad worshiping its institutions. We're in a bad way. We're in a bad way, aren't we? And that's why I, I, I just feel I want to I double down. I want to return. I want, I want to return. I want to repent. I want to turn around. I want to turn away. I want to give up these false things. I want to... I want to seek what the Spirit gives to the church and gave to that church. And I, I am prepared to say, Father, if this is not what you intend to do with us, then end us. What, what point, what are we doing? Why are we gathered together as a community? If it's not to hope for these very things, then we should hope, and I do hope. And I will hope, because I believe in my Father in heaven. But I want to tell you, I want to just jump into this text, and, and I want to ask, what is it? Why don't we have it? And how do we get it? <laughs> how do we get it? I want the first church reality. And, and what's the name of our church? What is the name of our community? First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco. Well, let's hope and let's pray and let's seek that that first, that first adjective, that first adjective would be uh, adverbial. Uh, it describes what we're doing. We're doing the first things in the first way, firstly. Well, you'll see what I mean in the devotion that we have for our thought. So we're looking for the Holy Spirit here, and let's, by his grace, see where we get with it. Um, uh, here we get with it. Uh, so what is this? What is what is this Acts 2.42? I remember the first time I read it. It is. It seems to come out of nowhere. I, I, honestly, the disciples are like this little group. At the most, they're like 120 people, uh, maybe just less. And then all of a sudden, bam, they're 3,000. And I mean, it, everything comes alive. We, they were in the corner before. They were a, a small group. Now they're like, no, it's amazing. It's just a, a big, uh, and nothing like it has ever happened in history since. Although there have been echoes. There have been echoes. And so, uh, but, but, but what is it? Is it just a, was it an unrepeatable event? In other words, will we never see these things again? I don't think that sounds right. 
And and uh, and and uh, but are we? How are we supposed to treat it? What is it that's happening here in this scene? This is the scene. Remember, it's following fifty days after Christ breathes the Spirit. Now, I'll tell you what I think it is first and foremost, and this is kind of beautiful. It is first of all jubilee. I kind of I love jubilee, not just because I was a scout. And scouting is something called a jubilee because scouting has its roots in Judeo-Christian values and experience. And, and they had something called the jubilee, which was a big camp celebration. It was the biggest one of all. And it, that was fashioned off of this celebration. What is Leviticus 25? Some 3,000, no, 4,000, sorry, 4,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, God ordained the people of God and set up a structure in them politically, theopolitically. Remember, they're God-centered, God politics kind of nation. It doesn't really have a parallel with us today. And he set up a system and he set up a macro schedule. And the macro schedule, look at it. You shall count seven weeks of, se of years, seven times the seven years, and time of the seven years shall be given to you 49. So they were supposed to have this schedule. Big macro schedule. Every seven, every six years, they would take a seventh year and stop harvesting. And they were to do that seven times. And the seventh, seventh time was to be a jubilee. It was to be like a super, super free. And what they were do, consecrating that 50th year, they were to proclaim liberty throughout the land to its inhabitants. What does this mean? If you had sold yourself into slavery, guess what? You were sold back. You were given your freedom. If you had sold your property, it was restored to you. And everything got righted. You see, the people of God all had an inheritance in the land for their family. And sometimes, if, if you know, if the Smith family fell in a hard time, they would maybe sell their land to the Miller family. But every 50 years, it was all supposed to go back. You see, It was all supposed to return. Maybe there was a man who would sell his son into slavery or his children or himself because of his poverty. Well, when a Jubilee would come, they, this, and there would be a, a return. And it was holy, and it was this holy restoration. All the poverty fixed, everything moved. Every, it was amazing. It was supposed to be jubilee. What does jubilee mean as a word? This is kind of cool. It means flow, like a flowing stream. Flow, it's God's flow. It is the flow of grace. And look, look when it was supposed to happen. On the Day of Atonement. What's the Day of Atonement? It's a picture of the cross. What happens after the cross? Pentecost. What is Pentecost? Pentecost is the final occurrence of Jubilee because the people of God never, ever did this. They never bothered to do this schedule. They, did, they didn't do it. They, 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 they said no. We're ne they never, never, ever chose a Jubilee. And uh, they were punished for it. Well, what do we have? What's happening here? What's happening here at Pentecost? Well, it's, notice it's uh, fifty. You notice the word fifty comes up again. Uh, the, the number fifty, fifty days, Pentecost, fifty years, Jubilee. I don't think that's accidental. I don't think that's accidental at all. I think God scheduled these things on these schedules so that you would see all that parallelism and you would identify this as His work, His character, and His His Spirit. Nothing like it in the world. He is on track with a plan he's always had. And it is the explosion of grace because of the cross and atonement that results in a transformed church that proclaims liberty and does restoration work. It's amazing. 
It's an amazing, and so Jubilee in this ancient 4,000 years ago, thousands of years later, comes to final fruit in the spirit. Now, this reality is what happens, happening here is the first thing I want you to see. It's the first part. And it's kind of the exciting part, right? It's, it's kind of the, seeing the long range plan of God. Why is it so important to see the long range plan of God? Because we have such a short attention span. It's hard. It's hard in the days and, and, and minutes and, and we're stuck. We feel stuck. It's very hard. But okay, so we're part of God's great plan. And so were they in the Holy Spirit's plan. But that plan had parts and pieces. Parts and pieces to Jubilee, as it were, to God's flow. And those, those, there are four parts and pieces we're going to look at today, sometimes called the ordinary means of grace. And they are what the Holy Spirit, they're the elements, they're the core parts and pieces of the Holy Spirit's great, greatest work. What are they? The first thing the Holy Spirit does is create a, a devotion to the apostles' teaching. You know, it's this apostles' teaching. What is that? It's devotion to the Bible. The, the apostles, all they did was quote the Bible and read the Bible. What the scriptures are, are the very words of God. And it is an attention and devotion to, you'll notice we never preach. We never even have any part of our worship that isn't guided and directed by and in the word of God. Why? Because of devotion to the apostles' teaching. And this is one of the, this is the first great element. What's the next one? What's the next great element of God's work? In Ju even in the Jubilee announcement, there was a proclaiming of liberty, wasn't there? Teaching. But uh, what, what's the next part? Fellowship. That's the next kind of core element that is created by the Spirit. It is one another. This is actually uh, the word, you may recognize it, koinonia. Have you ever heard of the word koinonia? I think somebody trademarked it as a, I think it's a worship house or something, but koinonia. And this is idea of this one another, this one another fellowship. And it's, so it's a devotion to the Bible and it's a devotion to each other in relationship. It's a devotion to the community, right? It's a devotion to the community. This is the second thing the Holy Spirit creates. And it's elemental. Every true church has it. What's the third part? What's the third thing we see? The third element, the third core bit of the church and the working of the Spirit in this jubilee, this God's flow. It's the breaking of bread. What's that? Well, some people have wondered if this was just eating. I don't think so. I don't think so because it's a specialized term for Communion. This is about communion. They were regularly a part of, like the, every week we will celebrate today, even today, we will follow this pattern and we will have communion and the breaking of bread. It was the special act which imitated and focused and drew us back to what? The amazing sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his worship. A rite, a ritual. Communion. And what's the fourth, the fourth part, the fourth core element? Prayer. I don't think I have to explain this. Prayer, the prayers, and and uh, and uh, and so uh, I'm just not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go any further with that. I think that you know what that is. But those are the parts. Well, look, let's look at the pieces. There's also some pieces too, and the pieces are all these are all in blue. Look at them. Awe. What is awe? The word here is actually fear. Awe. It's experience. It's the experience of worship. Wonders and signs. Amazing things and answers to prayer. All things in common. 
selling possessions, radical generosity, distribution, a radical generosity arrives. Glad and generous hearts, a new attitude, having favor. They're well-liked by everybody. And look at the evangel evangelism explosion, man. This is, this is the parts, and the parts are amazing. The pieces are even better. What's in blue here is, it's, it's wonderful. It's the, it's the part, it's God's flow. Wow. And this is what it is. And this is an, I'm just unpacking the event. But I want you to see that each part kind of has, I want to draw all our observations together of this, of God's flow and jubilee at Pentecost. And I want you to see, look, first you have meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes are the first. It's the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And this is the core, this is the meat and potatoes. Then you have the gravy, the varying effects of the spirit in degree, the fruits. Oh, Possession surrender, radical generosity, transformed attitudes. Everybody loves church, and you have evangelism and church growth. Wow, isn't that what that isn't that what every church planter wasn't that what every pastor isn't that what every church member would like to see? But I want you to know some differences because I think this is where the problems start. Because you see this, you notice I have meat and potatoes here and gravy. And there's some differences between these two. You notice that uh, they're not planned. The first part, these are all planned. We plan to do teaching. We plan to do fellowship, breaking of bread. Those are all planned. We have a liturgy. Everything's organized. And same, the same for them. But look at the second, the gravy. None of that's planned. You can't plan to have awe. You can't plan to be glad. You can't plan for people to come to Christ salvation. You can't plan those things. They're results, not, not causes. Look, look here, not commanded. Here's another part of this. Now, there were people, we read this every week, and somebody asked me, challenged me about this, why we read this text every week. Because they asked a question, and they said, Chris, do you think that this church or any church should have everybody radically sell everything they have? Because it sounds like you're saying that's the vision of this church. And I encourage them as I encourage you. No. No. Look, gravy is gravy. <laughs> you can't live on gravy. <laughs> can you? In other words, we can disorder this order. We can try to plan for things that we don't plan for. We can try to command things that aren't commanded. We're not commanded to, uh, to add daily because we can't add daily. Only God can do that. We are commanded to read our Bibles seek him in prayer, seek the fellowship of, of, of the saints. Those are actually commands. We're commanded to do communion. We're commanded to worship him. We can't, but you see, you can't command awe. I mean, you could tell, but it's, it, 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 awe is something you would have or you don't in response to something. Look, they're also, the final observation is they're not oomphed or forced. In other words, the, the disciples didn't gather together to try to have awe or to try to seek radical generosity and or gladness. You know, so what am I saying here? We need to seek it in the right order, in the right process, in the right flow, you see. Because God has made his flow. He has made his things the way they operate, and they will always do so. And he, he follows a process, and, he is, and I think invites us into, as we'll see here. I want you to get excited about church. 
I want you to start thinking, wow, is this possible? Can we actually be a church with meat, potatoes, and gravy? <laughs> well, I hope so. You may have noticed that some churches specialize in different parts here. Or you could describe some churches as, as kind of being teaching churches, and some churches are community churches, and some churches are more focused on social change and radical generosity, and some churches love worship, and they're all about awe. But if you put the second part, the gravy, ahead of the meat and potatoes, I think you wind up with a weak church. But wow, look at all these parts and God's flow of the Holy Spirit and the breath of Jesus. That is what I want. That's what I want. But all of a sudden I'm stopped. Because I remember I, I feel a little locked out of this. When I read this New, this New Testament description here, when I read it, sometimes I feel I feel like I, I feel like I've been all right, put it this way. Have you ever been to like a really, really nice bank? A really nice bank. I mean, one of the ones that just goes for grandeur, goes for, to show how much money they have, beautiful polish, beautiful marble and everything. And I feel like I'm in a bank and I don't have an account here. <laughs> I can't get the, or, or the tellers won't answer, or I can't seem to get withdrawal. Or like, like, like God told me, this is my bank, but I have nothing here I can take out with me. I feel like I'm knocked out. I feel like the modern church in America now, in this generation, is removed from the full effect and operation of God's grace and spirit. And I don't know why. I really don't. All right, so, well, two reasons. What we, we know there only could be two reasons, and we'll look at the two reasons. And the first reason we always have to wait on is God's choices. Why isn't the church had this today? Why aren't we looking like this more? There have been times in the history of the church in revival and renewal and amazing movements where the church is, looks more like this. Oh, it happens. This is not happening right now. Not. Now, why? Well, first of all, I, I put it in red here. And, and I'm just going to put it out there. One of the first things I have to say to God, and you have to say to God, when we see the beauty of the New Testament church, and we look at our church, or the modern church, and we get discouraged, we have, the first thing we have to do is, look, the Lord wills as the Lord wills. And Jesus even told us about the Holy Spirit. What did he say? The, whole, the Spirit moves as he pleases. The Spirit goes where it wants, like the wind. You can't see where it's going, and it does what it pleases. And you had no control over God. What am I saying here? This isn't a recipe. In other words, you can't just make this happen. And you can't just do all the right things and then God plop, plops in his answer and you get the goodies. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that at all. This is all dependent on his good pleasure. Let us praise him at, like this. Every believer comes to our Father with unanswered prayers. I'm, I'm describing here deep unanswered prayer in my heart about our church and you and your heart and, my, and our, our city. I am. Father, why aren't, why aren't you doing? And I hear a call and you're going to hear it now. Father, you do all things well. Praise you. What else can we say to him? 
the judge of all the earth shall do right. That's what Abraham said as he pleaded over the God's destruction of a wicked city before it happened. Please, well, but I know you'll do right. All of his ways are love. All of his ways are kindness. And if you don't know that, you don't know him. When you don't believe it, you're not walking with him. The Lord does as the Lord wills. Praise him. We can never say we deserved it. It's only by grace anyway. Praise him. If the Lord says no, praise him. Why? Because his answers come to you in love, even whether you understand it or not. And all things in the Christian life begin with this, real submission to the Lord Most High. Because we don't always understand or get it, nor will we. His ways are not our ways, but his ways are all kindness and wisdom and love for his children, even when it doesn't feel like it. Praise him. So what's the first reason why we as a church don't touch the beauties and the treasures of the first century church? Well, it's because God has said no. And that's one of the things we have to wrestle with in his ordaining power. But there's a, so it's God's choices in one sense, because the Lord's the one that adds and subtracts. It's the Lord's work, not ours. So God makes choices about what he does. He makes choices about whether First Press will be this church or that church or this kind of place. He is the Lord. We are his servants. We are his children. He does well. Praise him. So the first item is trust. So the Lord makes choices, but we make choices too. So there's a second factor here that we have to talk about, and that is the fudge factor that humans, we bring in in our choices. God makes his choices. Praise him. He is the king. His choices are all good. Our choices are not all good. There's choices these men and women were making, and they were choices of devotion. There were choices of attending. There were choices for breaking bread in their home, for bringing the worship in, for receiving, for praising. They had actions that were a real part of their decision-making process. So what was the second? The first reason is God's choices. Well, we don't have these things. But the second reason is sometimes God's choices are a response to our choices for sin. Sin in the camp. You ever heard that expression, sin in the camp? Is there sin in the camp? It comes from Achan. You've heard of Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. It was a great, great scene. One of the greatest triumphs in all the Bible is the God's victory over Jericho. But when they took Jericho, there was a young man named Achan. And then Achan, when they took the territory of Jericho, they were to take all of the treasures and not take anything for themselves. They were to surrender everything to God. It was to be completely and utterly destroyed. And every, everything was to go to God. Every last penny, every last little wedge, every little last piece of gold and silver. But Achan saw a wedge of gold and a pile of silver and a beautiful, beautiful jacket. So he hid them for himself. He plundered for himself. Now, the next time the people went to the next town, they had just defeated Jericho, the biggest town in the whole area. They went to this little town called Ai. Oh, he's a little village. And they're like, we're going to take care of that town without any problem. So they go in to take over Ai, and they get trounced. I mean, they get beaten badly. And they don't know why. Sound familiar? Why is this happening? Why are we not enjoying the blessings that's we, that were there before? Interesting. 
And God tells him, it's because you have sin in the camp. And in fact, God tells J Joshua that the whole people of God are, 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 are responsible for that one person's sin. He says, you, the whole people, are, he's and he judges all the people for this one person's sin. This is a, t and, and, and they have to they expose it and they find it and they have to punish him. He, not only is he punished, his whole family is punished. They're all put to death. Very, very, very oh. Your choices, your choices in holiness, your choices in your personal life. And when I, when I prayed right before we were worshiping, and you've probably heard me pray this before. I pray this so much, guys. I pray for Tao. I pray for my kids. May my sins not be reckoned against them. Do you pray that? Are you willing to pray right now? I did. Maybe you need to stop while I'm preaching to start praying that. Because, because what's, what's, what's going on in my heart? What's going on in our hearts when we're like that? We become aware that our sins hurt, wound, destroy, and affect everybody around us. And if, if there's somebody in our community on Zoom here who has a secret adultery or a secret crime, a secret sin a, in, in, the, in the camp, it, it affects all of us. And even if that sin is merely a sin of, of, of omission, not caring, oh, it wounds all of us. And I begin to wonder what choices we have made, what choices the modern church has made, what choices this generation has made, what choices do we make, and are we? what choices am I making as your pastor? This is why I cry out for you to pray for me. Because I do not want my sins to be reckoned against you. For you to not have the gospel because of that. No, please, Father. Please. Sit in the camp. Our choices matter. And, and it's time for inventory. It's time for evaluation. It's time for you to ask yourself, what am I not repenting of? What have I... What have I not seen? But uh, uh, but that's but there's more here. There's more here. I want you to get excited about grace because I want you to turn you back to Jesus and 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 run from your sin, repent of your sin, but don't be broken by it. If there's somebody in our church who's holding us all back because of unbelief and sin and wickedness, then don't worry about it. Confess it right now and seek the Lord and follow the program because grace is abundant and grace is real. Because we can return to the balance. And we can return to these elements, these elements being the meat and potatoes and the gravy, the gravy flowing. Oh, I want to I open this up. I want to open this. I want Father open to us now. So uh, how, 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 what does it look like when the Spirit moves in amazing ways, His wonders to perform? Can we open this? Should we hope for this kind of reality? Um, the very first church that my parents went to was a country. It was a country church. I mean, country. It was out there in the boonies. It was in the sticks. It was down home. And so was the art. <laughs> the art was terrible. Uh, and often he was, and, and behind the preacher, actually, uh, I remember, forget this, behind the pastor in the pulpit, you'll never see this in a Reformed, a Reformed church. This was Christian Missionary Alliance, but it's a small denomination. But but in, in the, uh, and behind the preacher, 
was that little painting and, and, and the painting was this like 19, it's really cheesy devotional kind of painting with Jesus on hand on somebody's shoulder pointing and they, and they're, and they're standing at a, uh, at the wheel of a hell of a ship or something. But there's another picture in the church, I remember. And it's a picture of a beautiful door. It's usually curved at the top, as I picture it in my mind. The uh, the pastels of the 19th, the 19th century Victorian kind of art images. And, 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 and Jesus is standing there. And then below it, it says, there's a caption. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. <laughs> well, that's from Revelation. It's from, the, it's, from a, it's from a letter to a church called Laodicea. And, 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 and Christ says, it, it, he, he's telling them, he's rebuking, he just tells them off because they're lukewarm and tepid in their faith. They're having a problem. They're having a disconnect. They're not like the first church anymore. They're not full of fire, right? And he tells them, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. In other words, you're going to suffer, but trust me, it comes from love. And if you're being disciplined in suffering and suffering and, and repent, you know what that means? I'm knocking. Wherever people are, are wanting to repent and, and, and is love, Jesus is knocking. But, but a lot of times people use this verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. A lot of people hear that and they think of evangelism. Like that's an evangelist. Sometimes people are saying, Christ is knocking on the door of your heart. Come if he wants to, you know, come in and be with him. It's a good, it's a, it is a good, good illustration for that. But that's not what this text is about. This text is not about inviting non-Christians. Parker, that's enough. This text is not about uh, uh, about uh, about inviting non-Christians to, to have faith in Jesus. No, this is an invitation to the church. Isn't it funny? It's the church that needs, come on. It's the church that needs the invitation. It's the church that gets it. It's the church that needs it. It's the church we must respond as the church we must respond. Jesus is inviting you in his love. To intimacy. And I, I think when we see this invitation for what it is, as an invitation to first press to be his church. Those who conquer, I will grant to sit on my throne. Praise him with highest praise. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is what the Holy Spirit says. So if you hear the invitation, then let's see what we can do. And I preached two weeks ago on waiting, and I quoted this Acts one through one through four. And I and I remember that he was talking to Corey later, and, and Corey was saying, "Well, how do we wait well? Well, let's take a look, because Jesus told them to wait, and now we learn what waiting is: devoting themselves day by day. Look at those two expressions: devoting themselves. That is the kind of activity is the characteristic of their activity. In the Greek, this word means to give all your attention to, to be focused, to be obsessed, to pay all of your attention to something. Devoted. We're talking about obsessive compulsion. It is the intensity, the intensity with which we pursue God is to be that of devotion. And then the, and the, and the, and the frequency is what? 
I want you to grab this right now in your heart and let's ask our Father to create it in us today. I'm going to pray that, right? Father, create this in my people right now. Let this not be a, a pointless exercise of me merely talking and people hearing and figuring out whether they like the message or not, Father. Who cares if they like the message or not? We want you to do and come and do things with us that we can't do and make us into a people of love. Make us a people who seek you devotedly, obsessingly, focusing only on you day by day. We pray for that work by the Spirit. Amen. You see it. The characteristics that, in a sense, the preconditions that have to exist for the meat and potatoes to be on the table. Oh, no, they are part of the preconditions. We get all those on the table. Then the gravy comes. Never before. If we become a gravy church, seeking all or seeking to be a social change and radical generosity or seeking fellow, seeking uh uh, evangelism and over over the core elements, the core, the what do we call? I call them earlier the 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 ordinary means of grace. If we get our reverse, we get we chasing the wrong things. We are going to be sorely disappointed. We have been, haven't we? We've seen churches chase all these things. Let us not be us. Let us seek what a devotion, an obsessive devotion, an intensity and a frequency about the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. What does that look like, I ask you? What does it look like to be devoted to the apostles' teaching? It means to be in Bible study. It means to be a part of personal interaction. It means daily in the Word. Uh, if you don't have this routine, I suggest you, I, I, I urge you to seek it. It is one of the preconditions for us really knowing and seeing the Holy Spirit come, and it is essential. It is a passion about God's Word, a passion for it. And, uh, and attention to it. What in second is a passion and a devotion and obsession and a focus on the fellowship. Do you sometimes brush off fellowship because it's just not your thing? Then you're sinning. You are neglecting. It is as dire to neglect fellowship as it is to neglect the proper teaching of theology. You see, you can't have one without the other anyway. And, and, and you see, if you think you can, you're making a huge mistake. Are you devoted to others? Do you have somebody you're paired with and knows how much you love them? If you don't have somebody like that in our church, then you are not devoted. You're devoted to something else. Maybe it's a time of life, maybe problems, but I, you need to inventory. Devote, what's the third? Breaking of bread. Here, here it's just, you have to be there on Sunday. And people, you know, and, and, and I, I, church attendance has become, you know, such an optional thing for San Franciscans, especially it seems to me. With all the many options and distraction, I get it. I mean, Yosemite is only three hours away, and I love that place. Doesn't matter. Start making priorities that don't avoid worship. And finally, devotion to prayer. Well, I know exactly how devoted you are, at least to public prayer. I know how each one of you in this church is devoted to public prayer, and how much or how little. Let this be us, Father, create this. And if we have an obsession and devotion to these things, and they're totally available in the Zoom, and I'm available for anything you want to do. I have made myself more available than ever over Zoom, and I want to be. Because I, I realize Zoom is such a low barrier to entry. We could easily interact, and fellowship can happen. During the day, you want time with me? I'm available to schedule it. It's easy, and it's joyful, and I'm getting so much satisfaction. I'm just living life together with the people I'm with directly. Joy, devotion, day by day. What is this daily thing? Uh, this idea of revisiting day by day, everything that we love about God, everything that, oh, it's persistence, isn't it? 
What does waiting really look like? Waiting is not passive, is it? The waiting for the promise of God is not passive. They were doing all these things before. They were doing all these things before the Holy Spirit arrived. <laughs> because, the, you know, in Pentecost fire, they did them because Christ had already breathed on them. We found them in the upper room. They were praying together in fellowship, devoted to this. And it's all there. It's all there in spades. And it's beautiful. So we see the invitation. We see now that, that, that the frequency and the intensity that we're called to, and we realize, you know, God has always been teaching us this. Look at this. It's, what were his instructions back in the, back in the Old Testament uh, uh, to the people of God? Uh, you shall love God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your might. Total being, devotion. Uh, teach them diligently. Uh, talk and sit in your house. Walk by the way when you lie down. Every posture possible. Sitting, walking, lying down, getting up, talking. Frequency, intensity. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, between your eyes, write them on the doorposts, on your gates. The Jews do this to this day, and they shame us. We are the people who should have this kind of constant, uh, uh, but we don't have to do it. We, have to, we don't have to do each one of these details, but the presence of, of these elements of the word and prayer and fellowship should be so deep in our lives and embedded that it is a part of the routine, you see, and the geography of our lives. What is this geography? It's a geography of worship and love. This is the geography of love. This is, this is, the, this is it. This is beautiful. This is the kingdom. And so, uh, and so when we do these things, we are making ourselves available to the choices of our Father. And may He choose us. <laughs> Why not? Let's raise our hands. Father, over here, choose us. We want the awe. We want to see evangelism. We want to see, we want to see worship happening like that. We want gladness and radical generosity over here. And those sorts of things, as He pleased to give them, will look amazing in us. And they are, things like these, you know, hints have happened. Hints are happening in our, even in our church of this day-by-day -day kind of thing. What am I excited about here? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited by this final expansive promise. And I'll close this. Day by day, they did this first thing. And then day by day, God did the second thing. You see that? Day by day, they attended breaking bread and receiving. That's what they did day by day. And then God responded, what? Added to their number day by day. And I see at the end here, this is grace. This is God's unmerited love. It's just, it's flowing so freely, you barely even notice it in the, in the story. And, and, and what is their day by day worshiping him, but his work in them, right? And his work in us if we become like this. And, and, and I, see a, I see vistas opening here. And I see this possibility that we will see our Father meet us in that kind of intensity and frequency, you see? It's almost like God is saying, look, get more intense and frequent with me, and I'll meet you pound for pound. I'll meet you right there. I'll meet you in it, in my love, because I love you. You're my people, and I want to show my love in you. <sighs> Look, I don't want a civic religion. I don't. I don't want it. And I, I, I don't want to worship democracy because it's never really done anything for me that I could see. 
doesn't, it's not going to save my soul. But I know what I do want. I know what I'm looking for. I know what I'm expecting. I know what I'm praying for. And I hope you will be praying for it with me. And I am hoping that we will be incandescent, alive and on fire with a new love and a new power from the Holy Spirit flowing in Laguna Honda, flowing on the streets, flowing in the Zoom, flowing everywhere. Because Jesus is doing it. And we're doing it through him. And uh, yeah, God's flow is flowing. Praise him. Let's pray. That's what we want, Father, your flow. <laughs> Just to have your flow flowing through our lives, a flow of spirit and power, a flow of forgiveness and love, a flow of a flow that devotes that that, that we can be de- so devoted to day by day. Father, devotion day by day. That's what we pray for for ourselves and for each other. Devotion day by day to 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 to, to breathe and to open and to fill our lives. If there's sin in the camp, Father, we pray for repentance. And Father, if your choices have been to, we we bend your ear. We know we're allowed to ask for your choices to change. Change your choices for us. Make your choices be for the full expression of the Spirit in us. We ask for these gifts from you, not because we are worthy of them, but because we need grace so desperately. We need you to be the one that adds up everything that we do to mean something. And we ask for that work in, in us and through us, dear Father, for, for, your, for your Son, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's proclaim together the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Take it, take it, eat it, do this, and think about me, he said. In the same way, he also, after dinner, he took a cup of wine, the cup of the covenant, and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take take and drink this, do this, and Remember me. Think about me, he says. Lord Jesus, we obey you now. We take these elements to think of you and to think on you and to remember your love. Amen. Yeah, that's it. This is a table for sinners. And you are welcome into the presence of the holy God. If you will say this, I'm a sinner, I don't deserve it. And I trust is only in Jesus. My trust is only in Jesus and his sacrifice for sin. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, forgive me my sin. That's it. That's us. Who is forbidden to take this table? Well, first of all, you're forbidden to take it just because you think it's the right thing to do. You're, you're to take it because you actually know Jesus. It's not merely a religious right. The second thing is to take it because it's just a because it is a right. It's just a funk. It's like a, a, a ritual. Now, it's not merely a ritual. It is filled with Holy Spirit flow. Don't get in that flow if you don't know what that flow is. And finally, this table is an offense. This table is actually dangerous to people who take it and think it's silly or think that they can take it and not care about whether they sin or think they can take it and not care about it or think they can take it because they're a good person or none of that. None of that's appropriate. This is for sinners whose claim 
is Jesus. Only. Devoted <laughs> to this. Jesus only. Uh, if you're a skeptic watching this, uh, uh, we're hoping that our love and our experience and our knowledge of God will call you and beckon you. <laughs> You'll hear a beckoning in our worship. You'll hear a beckoning to come and join us. If you hear it in your heart, respond to it today. Now, we have some concrete things we believe. And so I, uh, before we take the meal, uh, I do ask this question. Uh, uh, what do you believe? Because we ask you to, if you would participate in this with us over Zoom, which we think the Holy Spirit does fill authentically and really and truly. He is not limited by this. But when we answer this question, what do you believe? We ask you to believe these things. If you do believe them, join us in worship here uh, after, after, the, after the Apostles' Creed. All right, I ask you then, brother and sister, guest, uh, First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco, what do you believe? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.